welcome to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin, and our normal host, Matt Brusky, our Deputy Director, is on vacation this 4th of July week, so he is not here, but uh, we thought we'd, we'd you know, really go for the full house to replace Matt's role. And so we have, as usual, Rebecca Lynch, the political director for the Working Families Party, who is getting over a, a, a bad cold she had last week. I'm back in action, Robert. But she is back in action, as she put it. And then we have two special guests, friends of Citizen Action, friends of Battleground Wisconsin. We have Mandela Barnes, former state representative and candidate for lieutenant governor in Wisconsin, so and also a member of Citizen Action's board and a co-op member. Thank you for joining us, Mandela. Oh, many hats, Robert. Yes. And then we have a, a, a semi-regular uh, yeah. state <laughs> senator, Chris Larson, very close ally, somewhat a veteran of a primary, primarying a more yeah. mainline Democrat when he first won election, Jeff Playley, that was, okay. and a Citizen Action co-op member. Chris, thanks for joining us. I should keep a mug here for all the times I come back and do the podcast. Yes, exactly. There's no Larson. Oh, yeah, there, there's, a, there's a magnet. There's a magnet. There's yeah. a Larson oh, magnet on, as Mandela picked up as an expert in political promotion yeah. and advertising. <laughs> as there's Mandela stickers <laughs> strategically placed there's around the office. a sticker. <laughs> uh, but they're also, you know, Schreiber, Tony Earle, Ed Garvey. So there's a lot of things here uh, in, in the main office. Uh, but what I want to talk about, because there's become, there's broken out nationally and beginning to break out in the state of Wisconsin, kind of a debate over the future of the Democratic Party and how left it should be, how right it should be, uh, what unity means, and uh, whether there's disunity uh, among, among progressives in general or people on the left in general. And so I thought with this superstar panel, we would just have a broader discussion of it. And so we're going to get to the governor's race because that's what people are thinking about a lot as we are in the home stretch where actual advertising is going to start and things like of that nature, right? And, uh, and actually people are coming to the end of their endorsement processes who haven't endorsed already. So this is going to become a real contest, not just kind of a show horse thing where each candidate goes and, it, and say, makes positive statements but doesn't talk about themselves versus other candidates. But f setting up this whole thing, is at the national level, there's actually this huge divide right now because Democrats are thinking they can win this election. There might be a blue wave or there might not be a blue wave. The polls are contradictory on this. We've had some really strong progressive candidates win in primaries. And I know, Rebecca, the Working Families Party was involved nationally in some of them. Um, not here in, w in Wisconsin. That hasn't happened yet, but you're working on it. Uh, but... Um, the most, uh, one that's gotten the most attention is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's shocking win against the potential future Speaker of the House, Joe Crawley, in the Bronx and in, um, uh, and, and, other, and, and other parts of New York, Bronx and I've forgotten, Bronx is in Queens. the district and Queens. Okay, I don't usually put those together. Okay, the don't Bronx and Queens. Queens around Rebecca. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. And so, and she is to the left of Bernie Sanders, but was inspired by Bernie Sanders. And then there's been this hand-wringing that somehow Democrats are going to lose in all these contested kind of purple districts or reddish districts because you have someone who just won and got all this attention who wants to abolish ICE, for example. Though the rights claim that ICE is... Um, 
it, abolishing ICE means having open borders, of course, is silly. Everyone's talking about replacing it with something. And you have the far right, like you have Fox News, which is a, a very convenient one-stop shopping place to find out what the right-wing strategy is because they decide what it is and they disseminate it on Fox. You have Tucker Carlson saying the left is spinning out of control and their rage is finally consuming them, and that's why they won't win. So you have this and kind of from some Democrats and from the whole far right, this attack on liberals who are too extreme or too bold. So I want to get people's sense as to whether nationally, before we get to the state of Wisconsin, is that really a thing? Is do we have uh, our, our, our do we have candidates who, who are Democratic socialists going too far, and that's somehow going to uh, keep Trump and uh, not Paul Ryan himself, but a right wing Congress in the saddle? Mandela, you have a thought on that? Yeah, I think we're already too far as a society, and I don't mean politically. Uh, and what people see is far left ideology or far left politics is really just to get us back uh, to the middle. Is just to get us back to some ground that's acceptable for people to live their lives. I mean, you know, you look at historic income inequality. You look at uh, the number of people who are uninsured because you know their states have totally sabotaged the ACA. I mean, it's a real problem. I mean, so to even accept the notion that we're going too far to the left is to dismiss uh, that we are going too far to the bottom already uh, with the way things are going. So I don't, I don't think we're going too far to the left at all. We just want to get to a, a place of zen almost. And what you're saying is, as I hear you, Mandela, that this horse race analysis just says it looks for the warm porridge, not the too hot, too cold, and doesn't look at what our society is and what it needs, right? Well, absolutely. I would, yeah. I would love to be a centrist, right? <laughs> I, think, I think many of us in the room would love to be a centrist, right? But in these times, like, there's, no, there's no place for that because it can't happen. If we continue to let our schools decline the way they've been going, if we continue to let healthcare be the huge issue that it is, if we continue uh, to not see any wage growth, then this entire country, I mean, we're gonna, it will be an abject failure. Uh, I mean, whether it's politically, socially, or otherwise. I mean, if you look at income inequality, I, mean, I made the analogy on Twitter about people being all upset about the NBA and how everybody's going to the Warriors and how LeBron James is now going to the Lakers. Well, if you're upset about that, if you're upset about a handful of the greatest players in professional basketball only going to a handful of teams, you should be very upset about the majority of wealth in this country only going to a handful of people. Mm -hmm. I know that said. That's great. It's the NBA is kind of a, a, an abject lesson in inequality. I, I like I like that analogy a lot. Rebecca or Chris, uh, just weighing in on the gent frame. Do we have a problem with going too far left? Yeah, I mean that that's not the uh, we 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 become experts at negotiating against ourselves, right? And I've seen this happen. Mandela has. He was in caucus. I don't want to remind you of. Uh, of those days, but we, we caucus as a group, right? And uh, senators or senators, uh, assembly reps with assembly reps, and we end up talking a lot. And there's so many times where even before anything ends up being public, we negotiate down to what we already think is a compromise position. And that's our starting point. And if that's a starting point, then we back away from that once there's pressure applied by Republicans, by the media, by the public. And that's not a good starting point. We've done that for far too long, and we've ended up where we are, which is out of power, and we seem like we're weak. So I think it's, it's worth being strong on a lot of these issues, um, issue by issue, not necessarily putting them on a spectrum. There's, as long as I've been in office, there's never been a board where it says, okay, where does this fo policy fall on the political spectrum? Is it to the left, to the right? And you, you, know, you mark it with a, a ledger and see where you end up. More than anything, we look at it, I think, but 
position by position, issue by issue, and then we try and figure out what's best. But I agree with with Mandela that it's a uh, right now it's a matter of of people need to step out there and actually look for some change and want to see things happen. And it's a natural push off of our momentum of of what the status quo is, right? So uh, using an analogy, it's kind of like um, I think a lot of people are like to be in their own lives and not have to get involved or not have to change anything, right? So thinking of like a car, right? When you're driving your car and all of a sudden you, you start hearing a noise and your first reaction is probably, well, mine, mine is, which is I hope that goes away. You know, I hope that noise just stops by itself so I don't have to do anything. And then like maybe a day, a couple weeks later, you know, the noise is still there and right. uh, your friend gets in the car and they're like, how come that, how come it's really loud in the car? <laughs> you know, and you're like, oh, I, I guess I, I guess I should actually do something about it. So, you know, status quo is you're just going to let it keep going until it, the car falls apart. But look, there's a lot of clicking, clattering and a lot of noise happening coming from our country. We got to step out there and do something. You know, we're going to have to fix it. We'd love to, we'd love to just hang out and pretend there's no noise, but... You can't you can't hear the radio anymore. Is well, what I'm trying to well, say. Well, that, that is where Mandela Barnes becomes a, a very staunch conservative. Because anytime I hear a noise, my first thought is, how much is this going to cost? Yeah, <laughs> right. right. Well, no, they don't really care about money. So they don't really they're, care they're, about they're, money. They're, 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 they're imaginary yeah. conservatism, not their practical conservatism, where they run up deficits. But I was going to say that it's where the public is on the status quo. If yeah. people thought the status quo was was all hunky dory fine, we're not ha about to have a global climate genocide in the yeah. future. We're not having the first generation of, of people worse off than their parents and with horrible economic prospects. And you could just say, let's just stay the course. But the public, in a way, some some parts of the public reacted to Trump because he wanted to shake things up and change things. And so if we're going to be these kind of yeah. centrist, careful, we're not going to change anything, folks, which is what some, de some people are proposing to the Democratic Party, then we're not going to be very appealing, I wouldn't think. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of winning in the midterms and in 2020, uh, you know, the, the rules of the game are so rigged against the left. Uh, we've got gerrymandering. We have Citizens United. And, you know, what we really need to do is harness... Uh, as much energy and enthusiasm as possible to counter that. And I think if you look at some of the races that have happened recently, in particular the one that you mentioned, uh, the congressional race in Queens and the Bronx, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I think had like 300 something thousand dollars and her opponent had like eight times that, I think. Uh, maybe, ten, maybe 10. Maybe 10 times mm. that. And really, you know, the, the success of her campaign was that there was real enthusiasm. They also ran a real field game. Um, and it was on a bold message that spoke to people. And I think that that is a winning strategy. And I think for all the hand-wringing of us turning blue districts bluer, uh, that is not something that uh, hurt Republicans on the other side. So I don't know why folks think it would hurt ours. And I, I want to pick that up because we have to go to break, Rebecca. But your so, the whole question about whether it hurts Republicans, I want to jump after the break. So you are listening to Battleground Wisconsin. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig from Citizen Action Wisconsin. We're joined this week by Rebecca Lynch from the Working Families Party, Lieutenant Governor Candidate, former State Representative Mandela Barnes, and State Senator Chris Larson. And we have been talking about the left, the center, the future of the Democratic Party, all of the kind of vitriol at the national level about how somehow Democrats are going to blow this election because there are too many progressives winning in primaries. And so when we left off, Rebecca was, sa was saying, which I think was, is, is a very important point to, to kind of dig into a little, 
that Republicans have not paid a price for uh, being, being very right-wing. So what we're hearing is, is in these races that, that Democrats need across the country that are purplish or light red, right, held by Republicans, uh, that we can't have too bold a Democrat or we'll lose these elections. But it's not like the Republicans have been electing moderate gypsy moth, they used to call kind of Republicans. They're electing Tea Party-style folks who are going in and, and voting to repeal the Affordable Care Act. That's supposed to be okay, Rebecca, but God forbid that a Democrat runs on guaranteed health care for all, you, you, um, Medicare for all, and it, but they can, they, you can have a candidate that wants to take health care away from 30 million people. What kind of sense does that make? You know, I think we, we did see the same kind of hand-wringing on the right, um, and then it just, you know, turned out to be false, and Republicans continue to succeed um, turning those red districts more red. Uh, and I think that the hand-wringing, both in the establishment Republican Party and the establishment Democratic Party, has to do a lot with power and giving up power. And I think, you know, when we look at some of these races, Ben Jealous, who just won mm -hmm. uh, his primary, Stacey Abrams, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, these are dynamic, progressive people of color. And, you know, those are not necessarily folks who are represented within the, like, Wall Street-funded establishment. And I think that there's a lot of fear, um, you know, that people are going to have to give up a little of their power, their control over the platform or, you know, their right to their turn at a seat or whatever the case may be. And I think that's part of it. Um, I do think that, you know, that might be more subconscious than conscious. I do think that folks are worried about, quote, winnability. Uh, and I, I just hope that we can finally learn the lessons of 2016, where somebody running on a democratic socialist platform had so much enthusiasm, raised so much money, and did so surprisingly well. Um, and that is what the American people are really craving. Mandela, I know you've talked a lot about running on something, right? And so isn't it more about whether you're offering people hope and whether you're actually going to improve their lives and not about whether you fit into some sort of thing a political consultant or expert comes up with about what the safe positions are on some ideological scale? Well, that's the whole thing when I talk about being yeah. a centrist. Like, if you run as a centrist, that means that you are okay with the way that things are going right now. And not anybody who's okay with the way things are right now is somebody who doesn't have much concern or has an interest for things to stay that way. So that's where we get to the first problem. But if we want to actually inspire votes, if, uh, inspire voters, if you look at uh, 2012 versus 2016 election here in Wisconsin, the people who didn't vote are the people who felt like there wasn't a candidate who represented their interests. I mean, we still have to keep in mind Donald Trump got 6,000 fewer votes than Mitt Romney here in the state of Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. But in order for us as Democrats to close that gap, we have to run on big, bold ideology. We have to run well, you know, at, at right now, uh, there is nothing more pragmatic than progressive policy. And, you know, G Scott Walker, he may have a great personality, but he's one of the most damaging governors in the history of this entire country. I mean, you know, you even look at the Janus decision. I mean, they mm -hmm. wouldn't have been so bold as to even take that to the Supreme Court if it didn't work here in Wisconsin first uh, when Governor Scott Walker uh, took that step uh, seven years ago now. So, of course, as progressives, I mean, we can't be afraid of, uh, of of going as far as we can to improve the lives of working people in this state and the people who aren't working, right, the people who are out of work, uh, people who need that access to health care, right? We have to be, we can't be afraid to talk about it because if people are going to vote for Democrats, they're going to vote for Democrats, but there is a part of the population who won't vote for anybody until they feel that their lives or there is some potential uh, that their life can be improved uh, you know, as a result of them going to the to the polling locations and putting casting their ballot.
And you know, Mandela, the polling doesn't back up that there's some group of people that want kind of stale centrism, right? The polling shows that the, 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 not only are Democrats way more progressive than they were before, but that this idea that independents are looking for moderation isn't the case either, based on the polling. So it seems like, Chris, Senator Larson, there's something else going on in part here, because if there isn't really a public demand for this kind of politics, and that is how elections are funded, not only since the reforms of the 1970s, but especially accelerating since Citizens United, where there, there are major party figures who are figuring out how they're going to get money yeah. from various interests, and they know there's a contradiction between that and a strong progressive agenda. Yeah, I mean, there needs to be, I mean, we need campaign finance reform more than any other bill that we can talk about, right? It's a gateway to being able to get everything else done. Right now, I think the listeners of this podcast know, but most of the public probably doesn't recognize that most of our Congress people are actually, uh, after they're elected, they just become telemarketers, right? Like they spend most of their time locked in a room trying to fundraise. And so they don't have the time to actually get out there and uh, deep, dig deep on policy, develop ideas, and actually negotiate uh, to get good solutions, they're they're spending a lot of their time fundraising, and once you knock that down, and a lot of times they're they're appealing to the richest donors, and uh, so they end up hearing their point of view, and their point of view, unfortunately, is not the same point of view of the average uh, worker, the average person who's trying to make ends meet in today's society, and so still until you knock that down, we're going to have a skewed uh, a skewed platform, but. I think that it, what we're having is we're still having a debate at the base level, uh, at the grassroots level, about where we want to go. And so what's interesting now is that a lot of the politicians are paying attention to the base because we have a higher, uh, a lot more of a platform with social media, with organizing. Citizen Action Co-op provides an excellent opportunity to band together all those, all those people with all those ideas that politicians have to respond to. Um, and I think that that disagreement is good. We're the party of ideas. We're the party of solutions, of trying to use people to, or have people to be able to uh, solve some of these problems. And uh, I think it makes sense as a strategy to turn this conversation on its head. It's, a, it's an interesting strategy by the, the Republicans, by Tucker Carlson, by Fox News, by Trump to try and point the finger at us so they don't have to talk about the neo-Nazis who are running and are on their ticket right? The people who are Confederate apologists who are actually going to be their nominees in some of these states. The people who think, who, who uh, like uh, Steve King, who refer to immigrants as animals, right? Or the people who uh, use racist language, like a guy named Donald Trump on their side, right? And uh, to have to explain where they stand on these issues and instead to say, well, no, look at, look at where they stand. We're fine. We should be fine with talking about our platform compared to what wild, backwards-looking, decades-backwards-looking policies that they're trying to pursue and are, and are pursuing now that they're in power. So, Rebecca, what's interesting uh, about 2016 was is that Bernie Sanders outraised Hillary Clinton without taking any Wall Street money, any pharmaceutical industry money, down the list of the big money donors, which means if you run on a, and it'd be great, we have to prove this is a model and that governor can run that way. I'm hoping a governor candidate can run this way in this election in Wisconsin. But if that's the case, then there'd be a, a then the whole political dynamic changes, right? Then having bold, exciting things that draw people out to volunteer and give small donations becomes the coin of the realm, not what will appeal to uh, uh, folks who work in Wall Street who give individual contributions. 
Yep, I think that's absolutely right. And again, it speaks to, you know, harnessing the most valuable resource a candidate can, which is enthusiasm. And the way you do that is by being an exciting candidate and standing for something. And part of being exciting is having those bold policy ideas. And part of it is being exciting, being someone like Mandela, who's Mm -hmm. young, who's progressive, who, you know, folks are really energized around. And, you know, I think we saw that, you know, to go back, one point I wanted to make, about what we just saw in this congressional race um, where Congressman Joe Crowley, one of the leaders of the Democratic Party, toppled, shockingly, Mm -hmm. in Queens and the Bronx. Um, And something else that we saw, I think also last week or the week before in the Democratic Party, is the elimination of superdelegates. And I think Mm -hmm. basically, you know, 2018 is a lot of things. Time's up. The Me Too movement has really harnessed a lot of energy. I think coming out of 2016, the Bernie Sanders movement has inspired a whole host of very progressive candidates. But I think we're also seeing the end of gatekeepers in the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. And I know that that makes folks very nervous. but it shouldn't. It should be exciting. And part of the reason it should be exciting is that we need millennials to run. We need millennials to vote. And we need to make space for people of a different generation to be involved and offer their ideas. You know, one of the things that was so interesting to me about the race in Queens and, and, and the race in New York is that Joe Crowley is not only the leader, uh, a leader in the Democratic Party in Congress, but he's the leader of the Queens Democratic Party. He is a party boss in the style of Tammany Hall and holds tight control over who wins and who runs in Queens, something that I know very personally. But what we saw um, over the last several years is the election of Bill de Blasio as mayor. We see Cynthia Nixon running against Andrew Cuomo for governor. Mm -hmm. We see, um, you know, the Working Families Party winning race after race in city council races and assembly races in Joe Crowley's Queens. And this was like the final, you know, the king toppling on the chessboard. But you know, turning blue districts bluer is also about making them more small d democratic. And I think that we're seeing that all over the country. I think we're seeing it in Wisconsin. We're seeing it in districts that maybe are a little bit red. But part of that is women feeling empowered, progressives feeling empowered, and not waiting their turn, running anyway. And I find that really thrilling. And we need to harness that, not discourage that. So, you know, 100 years ago, progressive era, fighting Bob LaFollette, Mandela. Oh, I was going to, uh, we're near a break. <laughs> so I'm going to save that question no for Mandela for, uh, <laughs> for after the break. You are listening to Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin. I'm joined by candidate for Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, former state representative, state senator Chris Larson and political director for the Wisconsin Working Families Party, uh, Rebecca Lynch. And when we left off, uh, we were talking about, uh, Rebecca had talked about uh, basically party machines being overthrown. When Joe Crawley lost in the Bronx and in Queens, he was a party boss. And 100 years ago, that's what Fighting Bob LaFollette did. He overthrew the existing political machines. And in fact, we were told when progressive insurgent candidates were winning, not we, I wasn't alive yet, but our, <laughs> our grandparents were told and our great-grandparents were told that, oh, no, without Tammany Hall, you'll never win. And, and you, you Irish-Americans, you, you Italian-Americans, you're going to lose if you abandon a Tammany Hall. And that wasn't the case. That's what old kind of dying orders always say. So Mandela, I mean, do you feel like 
uh, that really there's this upsurge going on where people realize that the status quo is we're putting it the way American society is now, the way the economy is, the way democracy is, is unacceptable, and that in, in essence we need to overturn all of the, the structures that kind of simply defend the status quo and are, and are organized in the old-fashioned. Yeah, I mean, so Rebecca talked about gatekeepers on the political mm -hmm. side, but we still have gatekeepers on the policy side, right? In caucuses, there are gatekeepers that make sure that, you know, we are not pushing an agenda in fear of some sort of retaliation. Like, how bad can things actually, how, how much worse can things actually get if we flip what is going on right now on his head? And this whole feeling has been around for some time. I mean, Chris, you won eight years ago. Mm -hmm. That was a long time ago. My, my race was 60 years ago, which yeah. is, you know, a long time ago in political years, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And so it's been there for, for a while, but now... I think that there is so much more attention being paid. I think that people are actually buying into the viability of larger scale candidates who represent this uh, broad populist movement. Uh, so the answer is yes, uh, the short answer. So let me bring up kind of a controversial issue on the left. And I'm not talking about uh, what the right says about political correctness, what Tucker Carlson says about some raging left that's out of control. He also did a piece a couple weeks ago where he claims that the left in the family separation issue is deliberately fomenting the kind of emotions that will cause people to be hurt, will, call, will inspire leftists to go murder poor innocent conservatives. And we had uh, uh, Leah Vukmir with a gun in front of her, right, in an ad talking about being threatened. So I'm not, I'm mentioning it, but I'm not talking about that kind of view of the left. But what I am talking about is there's so much demand for change, so much disenchantment with the structural racism, sexism, uh, and, and all of the other inequalities in our society and an economy that literally is rigged against average people. You know, the, ma the system of mass incarceration where money is just made by doing something extremely abnormal and, and compared to anywhere else in the world or in any time in American history with putting this many people in prison, right? A new Jim Crow, right? There's so much upset about all of that that it, it feels like to some degree there becomes a, an urgency that becomes a kind of dogma where anyone who doesn't agree with what I'm saying totally becomes the enemy. And that it seems to me so this is discounting the, the, the political use of it by people like Tucker Carlson, because they're, they're the conservatives of the party of division and hate and dehumanizing people. Okay, let's be clear. Let's turn on Fox News any night. But if liberalism is a, and progressivism are philosophies, which I think they are, the heart of the philosophy is, is human empathy, respect for the fundamental dignity and the equal rights of every single human being, right? going from where species that started as hunter-gatherers in small clans and our empathy was limited to the clan, mm -hmm. and it's gone further and further, and progressivism is the movement that wants to extend it to every human being, period, right? And so that means having empathy for each other even when we disagree. And I'm wondering if, we, if there's a threat to if we have this... Uh, because, and I'll get to another part of it. I've said a little too much right now. But do you think that... Uh, I, I, I think, I'm going to propose as a proposition that we need to, it's really hard to do when you're upset with people and when you feel like they're perpetuating injustice or want to move too slowly. I'm not talking about Donald Trump here. I'm talking about people on our side, right? 
to be upset with them, to say something on social media, but that we need to develop the ability to still have empathy for everyone, including people we disagree with, because we need everyone in in order to change this society. Right. But before, the, before we get to that, the answer to that question, yeah. I just want to point out that that sort of fear-mongering is only used to dismiss uh, yes. what they've already been doing, or their supporters, or their listeners right. uh, have already been engaged in. I mean, you look at back in Charlottesville right. with the guy who drove his car into the crowd. You look yeah. just recently as last week, where this guy in Idaho uh, stabbed a little girl, ended up dying. It was a, it was a group of refugees children. I, I want to say the girl was, she was like three or seven years old. Between so Very young. It, these were children from Syria, refugees from Syria, uh, Ethiopia, and uh, a couple other countries. And so this has been happening already, but it's been happening on their side. Oh, and, yeah. And we, we should first mention that if we want to talk about any, I totally any, any, any fear of, 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 of the right of some leftist attacks, because there haven't been any. Yeah, I'm not saying they're saying it's right, legitimate, right, right, but right. I, I t totally take your point. I mean, they are about divide and conquer and othering people. And even and when they do something like when Fox News said it's regular reports on allegedly, you know, extreme college students who did this, that, or the other, it's about mm -hmm. dismissing all of their concerns and objections and saying that they're all just crazy. You don't have to listen to them, right? It's like creating this false narrative. That's a, I mean, that's that's their strategy right yeah. now is to try and throw that out there. And I think we have to be very clear and have a, not to spend too much time navel-gazing, but to mm -hmm. be very clear about what it means to be a progressive and what it means to be a, a progressive Democrat, right? And so looking at how you define that. I, I define it as viewing the radical idea that you view the community as an extension of your family, right? Mm -hmm. And that is that we take care of each other, we take care of our neighbors, not because we're going to profit from it, not because there's an inherent value that you're going to benefit because I shovel my neighbor's sidewalk when it snows or... Uh, mow her lawn when it gets uh, when it gets too out of control, or that we we need to look out for our neighbors' kids. Not that they're going to one day pay us back, because government is not like a business. A community shouldn't function as a business. It should function as a family, that we look out for each other. And when you extend that to how we govern and how government should work, it's that, yes, each person has inherent value. We need to look after them the same way, same way we would want to be looked after ourselves. And if it, if, it, if it helps to not look at a politician and think of it that way, the easiest person to look at, I would say, is Mr. Rogers and say, look at the world through Mr. Rogers' eye where everybody is your neighbor, and that's how we should be looking out for each other, uh, and that's how we should be governing. Through, with love, right? Exactly. So, Rebecca, just, I mean, in other words, is there a disagreeing progressively, in other words, where we respect each other, empathy for each other, can strongly disagree on a policy at this point in time, but want to still invite people in? I'm feeling like... I'm not even saying it's most people, but social media has such a tendency to encourage people to say to make very strong statements and attack each other mm -hmm. that it, it seems like it leads to an, an unprogressive feel sometimes in, in the way we interact with each other. I'm not, I'm not talking about, Mandela's absolutely right, I'm not talking about the mm -hmm. sleazy propaganda of the right, yeah. I'm talking about us, right? You're talking about like within the Democratic Party. Or within the left, within yeah. The left. Or Democratic Party more broadly. Yeah, I mean, there are Democrats who say things to me about us trying to get people to join a do a progressive platform, I should check the thing to say, you're not really a progressive, and, uh, and write you out. I should want to have empathy and say, I want to convince you. I want to bring you around, as opposed to, uh, to, 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 to mark you as the other or the enemy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's generally a good practice within our circles to not say no but, but say yes and. And that's mm -hmm. a principle that you know I really strive for in my work. I, I think that you know we, on 
I, I, I would I would actually extend beyond the Democratic Party um, and beyond mm-hmm. the left, because mm-hmm. I think, you know, really, um, you know, my view of, you know, what the two sides in this country are is very much based on class. And mm-hmm. that is infused with race. And I think that the the most progressive true progressive politicians and the ones who harness the most enthusiasm were people like President Obama, were people like Senator Bernie Sanders, who, you know, really um, garnered a lot of support in Wisconsin from folks who maybe sometimes vote for Governor Walker, for example. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because they're speaking to, you know, that class-based struggle that is like so real and so felt across the state and across the country. And I think that is... um, to your point about like how do we kind of like reach beyond uh, just ourselves and not kind of like get too combative. I think that is the way that said, I think that we need to be like uncompromising in human dignity. Mm -hmm. And I think that that extends to being like anti-racist and anti-misogynist and like defending our trans brothers and sisters Mm -hmm. and, you know, people of different abilities. And, you know, I think one of the things that is really important to remember is that you know, us in this room, we're part of a privileged minority of people who can vote in this state and in this country. That, like, we are very far from the founding of this country where only white property owners could vote, but we're not that far. You know, we have child poverty on the rise in Wisconsin, as Citizen Action always reminds us. Children cannot vote. We have, um, you know, people who may be legal residents but are immigrants who cannot vote. We have people who are undocumented who contribute greatly to our community who cannot vote. We have people who have served their time and are still on papers who cannot vote. We have people who are elderly and maybe from the South and don't have birth certificates who cannot vote. We have people who work and and don't have childcare and just cannot make it to the polls. And so I think... um, you know, for those of us who are part of that privileged minority of people who can vote, I think we have a responsibility even more so to be to defend those who are at the bottom rungs of our society. And so, you know, I think there's a way to reach out to others in the Democratic Party on the left, but be uncompromising at the same time. I, I want to pick up on that. I think those are both great points. And I want to get to maybe the elephant in the room, not the Republican elephant. <laughs> And that is uh, the working class and rural voters that are thought to have gone to, gone to Trump and how, and how they figure in all this. So we'll be right back. This is Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin, joined by special guest State Senator Chris Larson, Lieutenant Governor Candidate, former State Representative Mandela Barnes, and as always, Political Director for the Working Families Party, Rebecca Lynch. So we've been talking about the future of the Democratic Party, left versus right, how uh, whether going too far left somehow is costing us the election, unity and divisiveness, and what it means to be a progressive, but also to not be uncompromising as far as what we're trying to achieve, while also having empathy and love for everyone, even if they don't fully agree with us. <laughs> it's, it's, hard. It's, it's hard. It's hard being on our side, man. Yeah. <laughs> Just like family. It is. <laughs> so <laughs> there's been a lot of hand-wringing about working class folks, rural folks who voted for Donald Trump, who might have voted for Barack Obama beforehand, uh, before that, and just enough of them, not all of them, in order to shift the 2016 election. But there's been a trend. That is to say, that group of people have been moving right every election and could continue, actually, according to a lot of opinion research. And so since Citizen Action Wisconsin is part of a national project with People's Action to start to actually talk to and organize with those voters around the state, and we're doing it intensively in north-central Wisconsin right now and are looking at other regions as well, I've been in a lot of calls about this, been digging into research. There are a lot of great books written about it. Catherine Kramer is a famous one uh, that's uh, here, in, that's a, a UW-Madison person who wrote it about Wisconsin. Uh, so 
What's interesting is, is that there is a lot of research showing that these voters feel judged by progressives. Mm. They feel like they're being called racist or sexist, not being listened to, looked down upon. They feel like they're not doing well either and that they've been standing in line and not getting anywhere, right? And so is there, I mean, they kind of opened this up to the panel, is there, is this simply, it could just be that this is what Fox News and the right-wing infrastructure has told these people over and over again. Okay, okay, now I said just. That's my hot take. Okay, <laughs> well, that's, that's definitely part of it, okay? But is there also kind of a style on the left that kind of unintentionally isn't listening to these folks and is, and, and is labeling them as, as the other somehow. And it, 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 or, I mean, it could be, I think Rebecca, Rebecca may say that it's all simply right-wing propaganda, but I'm wondering if there's something about how we uh, apply progressive principles, which is that we need to have empathy for these folks as well and need to listen to them as well without, as Rebecca said, giving up on all the racial inequality because uh, we still have horrendous racial inequality and structural racism in this country, without giving up the need to mm -hmm. reverse that, is there a way for us to approach these voters differently that, that's more empathetic and more based on progressive principles? I do think so. And coming from, uh, you know, interfaith organizing, you meet a lot of people, uh, different parts of the state with some, you know, different thoughts and different life experiences, uh, different exposure, who they've met in their life and, you know, where uh, their life track has taken them. And again, like when you look at the Obama Trump voter and it, I, you know, there are a few of them. They do mm -hmm. exist, uh, but it's not as large as the Obama no-show voter. Right. And uh, mm -hmm. but with that said, I mean these are people who have struggled in life, people who have been left behind. You know, not, there's not just a feeling of being left behind. People have actually been left behind, and what they thought may have worked for them in 2008, 2012, uh, and they had they were presented with something different. They took that route, and we have to present that overall message of uh, of, of prosperity, regardless of where you are, and and engaging those voters because we cannot leave them behind. We have to understand that we are a big tent party. We have to go into November uh, more unified than ever. And some people uh, may not be 100% uh, in agreement with us, and that's fine, right? But there is still some hook when we talk about, I mean, you just look at the tariffs. I mean, cheesemaker is going to be hit terribly hard. Mm -hmm. You look at our dairy industry. You look at our, uh, you look at rural communities that are being decimated or just completely losing their identity because factory farms are taking over and uh, replacing family farming communities. Uh, people understand the urgency at this moment. So we can have a conversation in those parts of the state that don't necessarily uh, translate to what we're talking about here in uh, Milwaukee. Uh, but the fact is there are certain economic uh, conditions that can be spoken to that unite our urban areas, our rural areas, our suburban areas, because suburban uh, poverty is also a real thing. You know, poverty two years ago in this state was at its highest point since 1984. Uh, so there are real conversations that we can have. Uh, and they are they can be the same conversations uh, you know our loss of industry uh, here in Milwaukee is the same as the loss of uh, industry in rural areas I mean it's different types of industry uh, but it's loss of uh, livelihood that has gotten them to uh, a, a place that or taken them from a place that they were uh, to where we are now where we see this high rate of poverty across the state of Wisconsin we see this level of income inequality uh, exploding Right. And, and those folks need, they need health care, right? They, they, they need, need health care. They need education. They need they're seeing their schools closing. They're seeing school districts 
completely uh, shallow out because the money's not coming from the, the state. Yep. Uh, they they the may not see it, but they've seen there has been a turning down of broadband expansion by Governor Walker, $25 million in his first year. And I just got back from up north. And, uh, yeah, you just don't have access to Internet. You don't have access to information. Those people have been have been nudged out. So never mind what Tucker Carlson may want to say. The fact right. is that Scott Walker has chosen where he wants to allocate his funds, right? It's to Weedick. It's to Foxconn. It is not to expanding to education and educating the people. It is not to providing health care for them. It is not to providing uh, a livable wage to the average person. I think we can communicate on that. But, but while we're doing that, I think it's also important, if not more important, to make sure that we're igniting a new population that feels like they've been left behind out of this entire conversation, people who feel like they have not been included in the back and forth of debates in the past, right, and bringing those new people in. And by doing that, by doing the work of what Working Families does, Citizen Action does, groups like Block, where they are trying to make sure that these conversations include everybody, people who hadn't been at the table for years, and trying to find ways to get them involved that's going to make a bigger difference. I think that's going to make a big difference as much as it is of, of growing that uh, idea of who's part of the family, so to speak, or who's part of the, well, the governing coalition. That's yes. critical. I just want to say, on a policy grounds, you're both totally right. That right-wing policy is like leaving northern Wisconsin, most of Wisconsin, completely in the, uh, behind, not mm -hmm. doing what's needed to expand opportunity there. These are folks who are two to three jobs, they report, their kids don't stay in the region because there isn't any opportunity there, right, et cetera. So, but there's still been voting, a lot of them, for, for right-wingers. Right and part of the reason is, is that there's this tribalism, American politics, who's in what group, and they feel like that's their group, and this is some different church down the road. Yeah. So how do we seem inclusive to them so we're, they're invited in without giving up our core premise, which Rebecca's been bringing up, which is we, we, this, this cannot be at the cost of not taking on sexism, racism, all of the inequality in our society. It has to be keep that and somehow make these folks feel included and part of the conversation rather than dictated to or judged, right? So, yeah, that's the thing, too. Like, it, and it feels like some sort of struggle Olympics. Right, because mm -hmm. different parts of right. uh, different communities in this state uh, feel like, oh, well, we're doing worse than them, we're doing worse than them, and it creates a sort of resentment because they think that uh, one community will get uh, resources allocated to them quicker than the other. And so going into, uh, going into this November, we have to talk about equity because equity is good for growth. If uh, you know, sexism and racism does impact communities that are not that diverse, whether they know it or not, and it's hard to communicate that message to uh, you know, communities that may not understand that, uh, and that's, you know, in these divided segments in this tribalism. But the fact is, uh, we still have to get, we just talk about those bread and butter issues. And an incoming coming administration, uh, when we go on to take on uh, racial inequality, we go on to take on sexism, misogyny, um, in the end of the, at the end of the day, everybody will benefit from that sort of, uh, that sort of governing. So, Rebecca, you've been taking a lot of notes, so I'd like <laughs> you tell us what you've been writing. <laughs> you know, I think, um, to your point, Mandela, about the Struggle Olympics, you know, that's not accidental, um, and that's not unintentional consequences of our dialogue. That's by design, right? I think mm -hmm. it was Jay Gould who said that he could hire one half of the working class to kill the other half. You know, that is, to, to the, mm -hmm. how you frame the question, that is how Fox News frames the debate. 
and I have to say, I haven't heard a single candidate for governor or a single candidate for lieutenant governor or Senator Tommy Baldwin say a single thing that was like alienating or talking down to other voters. This mm-hmm. is a very inclusive message, but it doesn't matter because no matter what, the independent expenditures that are funded through Citizen United, dark Wall Street money, and whatever Fox News and like other media outlets that we have in the state say, it's going to be framed as like, you know, dog versus dog or like whatever it is. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I I really want to make that point. And I think I struggle with this because I I do think that like there are some people who maybe um, are elitist or talk down to others, but that's in both parties. They're jerks. Like I'll tell you as a woman in the workforce, they're jerks all over the place. (laughs) It is like a bipartisan (laughs) issue. Um, And, you know, I, I, I think we do need to continue to drive home our message, understanding that the media is very much controlled by people who want to divide us. And our message is that you can't drink water by CAFOs and you can't drink water if it's contaminated with lead it's you're losing teachers in rural areas and we're having trouble with teachers in in milwaukee and we've got to protect our public schools right i think that message and it's over and over again you know we can repeat the same thing for urban and rural areas um but i at the same time you know the lessons of history tell us that we cannot act like this is normal None of this is normal. Mm -hmm. And we are not attacking the voters. We are attacking Mm -hmm. the people in power. And that includes people with money or that includes elected officials. But what's happening to the Trump administration is not normal. ICE was only created after 9-11. They're tearing apart our communities. Mass incarceration is at such an all-time high that this is not normal. Countries do not live this way. We do not subjugate entire populations to imprisonment and forced labor and inhumane caged conditions that I wouldn't have a dog in, right? And I think that we have to continue to be uncompromising in that. And and be open, but at the end of the day, right wing propaganda is going to frame it the way that they frame it. And I know we're almost out of we're with 15 seconds. I'm just going to say that we're going to have to have this conversation again and dig deeper. And it is about a message that can also withstand what the right's going to say, which is anything to win. And so I think. But thank you, all of you had really fantastic things to say. So thank you for joining us at Battleground Wisconsin. We will figure it out. We will create a progressive (laughs) Wisconsin with all of your help, all your all all of the listeners across the state. So thank you. Give us a November.